0: um before we dive in yeah be- uh, we keep doing befores yes that's what it's always like you know? i know it's I know. always before until it's after <laughs> oh ooh. Ooh. <laughs> so many so many so many
1: damn books welcome uh everyone to this your 49th episode of so many damn books um I am Christopher. <laughs>
0: I'm Drew. I forgot. Did you have I had to, to check?
1: Look, yeah, I had to look it up in my notebook. And we have with us today um, our returning guest, Alexander Kleeman. Hi.
2: Hi. <laughs> Thanks for having me again. Of, absolutely. For back.
1: Alexander Kleeman, you are the author of You Too Can Have a Body Like Mine. which Guilty you, <laughs> Which you uh, discussed with us on this show um, last time. People, longtime listeners will know. Uh, you were the recep- recipient of the 2016 uh, Bard Fiction Prize mm. and a finalist of Young Lions. Mm.
2: Yay! Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> and, and you
1: got your MFA from Columbia, and you're awesome, and we're so glad that and you could I come back for this. I'm oh, I'm glad. glad to be back. Yeah. yeah, and you're here for your uh, for the release of your short story collection. Intimations Yes
2: Which is a red book Where my first book Was What's a blue, blue book <laughs> <laughs> mm.
1: That means that Your next book Needs to be yellow Right?
2: That's true Or I could just Blow your mind yeah, oh, say, say, like, yeah.
1: a, like a nice Hunter green <laughs> Yeah there, there doesn't green. Need to be You don't need to Follow the blue pattern Blue again <laughs> yeah. Different blue Tell you guys what we're drinking? Yes, because you—I haven't—I haven't told you. <laughs> You're just drinking it. Yeah, I was <laughs> like,
0: okay.
2: I was um, just handed this, and it yeah. tastes really good. <laughs>
1: and and that is what the damn library is all about. <laughs> um, this is a this is a quick and easy sangria sort of um, where it's just um, three cups of pineapple juice, some le- squeezed lemons and oranges, some mangoes. Um, all hmm. thrown in with a entire bottle of Sauvignon Blanc and a cup of rum.
2: Whoa. And then I've
1: also <laughs> added, um, an ounce of the jalapeno syrup that I made actually for the last episode. Yeah. Um, and I put in some jalapenos in this too. And so I'm calling this Karen's Folly, <laughs> um, because, uh, there is a story in intimations about a, um, a woman at a resort. And there's jellyfish around, so I thought like the jalapenos would be like a jellyfish sting.
2: Sting in the midst of an otherwise pleasant experience. Exactly.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. Um, And so that's what we're drinking. Nice. I'm glad you guys like it. I like it a lot. It's really good. It's a. It's a. It's one of these dangerous drinks where you You can. You have like five of them, and it doesn't feel like you had any alcohol. And then five minutes later, <laughs> <laughs> you did. like any good sangria. Uh huh. Yeah.
2: You ruin yourself. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
1: You're your own worst enemy, which which happens in all sorts of places. I guess.
0: <laughs> Should we talk about uh, what'd you buy? What'd you buy? Yeah. We should.
1: Oh.
0: Why don't you start, Drew? Um, I picked up two things. One, um, a new novel just came out by Kathleen Donahue called *Ashes of Fiery Weather*. It is about several generations of women in a family of firefighters. Wow uh, coming from Ireland through to moving to New York. Mm-hmm. Um, it just looks like a like a good late summer kind of read. I'm yeah. excited about it. And then also, I got sent at work the other day, technically for my old boss, but he doesn't work there anymore, so I kept it. Um, Joyride by John mm. Lar, which is a collection of a bunch of his New Yorker essays about theater, but it's all comprised around playwrights or plays and every time that he's written about them so there's like a whole section on arthur miller there's a whole section on sarah rule there's a whole section Uh, on like certain shakespeare plays um and it just yeah it felt
1: like a nice deep dive yeah that sounds really good um do you want me to go or do you have something that you
2: um it always just takes me a little while to remember anything i've done (laughs) um but i uh i just bought uh this poetry collection called Look by Soma Sharif that's sort of like a rewriting of the Department of Defense like handbook, like a lot of military language. Oh, I heard about that. It's this. super awesome, or at least um, it hasn't shown up yet, but I've heard her read from it, and it's mind-blowing, um, what, what I know anyway. So uh, that's coming, um, and I recently bought uh, Barkskins by Old. Annie Proulx. Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh. And that is... So amazing. <laughs> because like uh it's weird. It's like about, you know, like um early French settlers of French Canada and uh the beginning of the logging industry and the attitudes towards trees and conquests and all these things. Um, but it's like reverse science fiction because you see that like discovering a our world like for the first time is like encountering an alien planet. Yeah, and I'm so into it. Yeah, <laughs> cool. That sounds okay.
1: so good.
0: I really I have that sitting on my shelf. I really want to read it.
2: Yeah. I feel like it might be good to read it in the winter because it feels like the place is very cold. Oh
0: uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, well
1: French Canada. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it looks cold there. Yeah. Yeah. Um How about you? Well over this past weekend I went to go see um these kids read their fiction and poetry that they've been writing all summer for the New York Writers Coalition. Cool. Uh, They have a, they do a little like reading. And also, um, what was really cool is along with the kids. So there'd be like a five-year-old reader and then, uh, Yas Jesse read, um, from Homegoing. So it was very, very cool. Um, of course I had to pick up her book after that. Um, and the kids were amazing um just incredible readers and really good poets um as well. And I also um picked up uh Jesse Ball's How to Start a Fire and Why mm. which I guess is about a teenage girl who is having a hard time with growing up and and her rebellion is joining a group of secret arsonists.
0: <sighs> yeah, sounds, sounds like awesome. a Jesse Ball book. Yeah.
1: Um and the uh the the spine is like like the the rough side of a matchbook you know when you're oh yeah whoa I have you I tried to it? light a match on it i know because it's made of paper
2: <laughs> <laughs> you know and yeah. then you just no no all right and we can just buy another copy <laughs> it's I'm twice sure, as good for jesse I'm, I'm
1: sure jesse va would really appreciate it. <laughs> and maybe that's why he did it he's like well he'll they'll burn the first one <laughs> and then they'll learn their lesson <laughs> Well, let's talk about your new wonderful triumph, uh, Intimations Uh, of Stories. Yeah. Stories. Your first book was a novel. Mm -hmm. Often, um, it seems like, or at least historically, this is what I often see is like uh, the debut novelist brings out their novel and then the short stories follow. Um, Mm. Is that, were you you thinking that or did you want to just put out your short story collection or... Well, originally,
2: um, for some reason, they had the short story scheduled first, and then they flipped it for reasons I don't know. Uh, <laughs> I just <laughs> I just get told what happens. Um, right. And then,, uh, I was glad for that, though, because um, I really wanted to write some more, and I wanted to write these realist stories, which are mostly clustered in the middle of the book. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so like, um, uh, I'm happier with this book because it's sort of like a shadow autobiography of myself when I read it I'm like oh and this is when like I thought this way about stories and this is when I thought this way and this is when I learned to like have characters speak in dialogue which is something I was always interested in but I <laughs> had <laughs> never done right. um so like uh I mean obviously the novel is really close to me and, and the novel tracks like day by day the time you spend writing it but uh the short stories are really close to me in a different way which um
1: which story? Because most of most of these, or a, a large chunk of them, were written before, right? Yes. Um, which one of these made the biggest change from where it was collected in, a, like, a literary magazine or something, towards the book? Like, which one's the most different?
2: Um, you know what? They're actually n- not that different from what they were published. <laughs> <laughs> like, um, I I really like printing things in public volumes because it's the only way I think to make a story settle down, <laughs> like <laughs> to make it so that you don't want to go into the word document and change, um, ins to ons or, or, um, you know, he's to it's or something. Yeah, right. Maybe other people don't change he's to it, but uh, <laughs> I like it. Um, and the ones that went through substantial revision are, uh, the, uh, brief history of weather uh-huh. and also um uh you disappearing so those were the ones where like i wrote them and uh instead of feeling like um oh i did it uh, <laughs> i was like ah oh, there's something really itching at me i know that <laughs> i know that this story can and should be different and i just i sadly feel i'm not the person who can rewrite it right now but i will like keep thinking about it every week until i am
0: <laughs> wow yeah um you disappearing is the last story in the collection mm. and it as i was reading it it's the one that reminded me the most of you two can have a body like mine oh, I totally in terms agree. Of yeah. the sort oh, of the yeah. world and like the eeriness
2: yeah yeah
0: and i was just wondering if you especially knowing that sort of the schedule got flipped Mm -hmm. how much of the novel sort of bled into the stories and vice versa
2: yeah that's definitely one that was written at the same time (laughs) 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 um and uh i'd be really interested in unpacking the intuition about that because yeah uh there's something like um i i found it fun to write you two can have a body like mine because i could as a narrator really like um take the authority of sitting in the narrator's seat and pulling all the levers and stuff. And I feel like you disappearing is a story like that too. It's like um, I'm storytelling and I'm starting at this one point and then letting it sort of widen and see like what's interesting to me and the expands, uh, expanded wideness of it. So <laughs> you
1: as narrator rather than like inhabiting what the character would be interested in? or
2: um, Well, I guess like... Um, with some of the stories, like um fairy tale and fake blood, uh, I think of those, like writing them was almost like writing a play. Like, um mm. I made it so that I sort of only knew as much about the world as, the character did and so things were always happening to me and when i was writing them um i was always like and then this happens and then like oh whoa weird ah. <laughs> yeah. um, like uh, that was sort of when i was really interested in um the thing that i heard murakami hierarchy talk about in a lecture once that like um writing is like playing a video game that you are writing at the same time you know so like this feedback loop and it's kind of like a way of um like thrilling yourself or surprising yourself and and just playing it's like play and that was really fun but you disappearing like um i definitely had more of a a a place i wanted to get to Mm -hmm. and a world that i wanted to uncover like i took some agency and like put on the captain's hat or something
1: yeah (laughs) right that makes sense
0: there's this this nugget in the middle of three stories
2: maybe four
0: that have uh this woman karen as Mm. the main character and they are like they are straight realism
2: yeah yeah
0: and i'm I was fascinated by the fact that you used the same... That Karen came back. But like, instead of being, here are three realist stories... Yeah. It was like... It was following her, but not in a in a linear novel kind of way. Right. Yeah, yeah.
2: Are these
1: all the same Karen?
2: Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, this bleeds over a little bit into this Robert Coover collection that uh, we all read together, but um, yeah. when I read this Robert Coover collection, um, I was writing poetry I was in college and um, I didn't really feel like I could write fiction because things had to happen in fiction and I was like uh, I definitely um, don't I'm not enough of a captain to make anything happen (laughs) (laughs) in text Um, and uh, it was these sorts of stories which like um, sort of set a few pieces in motion like populated a set almost or populated a stage and then like played with them and turned them around and around and recharacterized them that made me go like, oh, um I I see like how I can be myself in the process of writing a short story. It sort of took me a while to feel comfortable with the idea of taking on um, what I think is like think of as like the sort of authority that you need to create a person person and say things about their lives thus limiting like all the other possible ways they could be and like (laughs) um also like make statements about what the world is like like and it's our world and uh you may not be getting everything in there or something i don't know i had a lot a whole complex about it um so the reason why um i sort of pick up with karen over and over again um i guess this Is partially uh, like number one that uh, world creating feels really um, intense to me and authoritarian. And uh, I hate the idea of creating a world that is populated and fleshed out and then throwing it away after the story is done. So I wanted to, you know, pick up with the character more. But I also felt a lot of times when. I read short stories that like, um, a lot of short stories that focus on a a real person person, um, they capture like some significant moment in that character's life. Like it might be a turning point or it might be like the beginning of character change or the moment where something, um, some contour in their life starts to take hold. Mm -hmm. Um, But I always was really skeptical of that because I sort of saw myself and the people around me Um, having a lot of those moments like in succession and a lot of them were sort of similar and I felt that like actual change in a person happened like not through those moments but like through this subterranean build up of the effect of those moments. So, um, like I'm still working on these Karen stories and trying to take like these samples from throughout her life and figure out like, you know, um, when does she start seeing the world differently and, um, you know, what, what buildup of experience can constitute like acting differently, like like aging or becoming a different person or something? Like, mm-hmm. um, uh, because I think for the most part we replicate a lot of the same mistakes. Yeah, yeah.
1: that's <laughs> even, true.
0: Even the order that the three stories are in, and hearing you say that, I'm like, oh yeah, because they're not chronological, mm. and yet you can see the way that when you put them chronologically, you're like, oh yeah, she's. Making the same mistake again and again. <laughs> yeah, you said
1: something earlier. Uh, a person, person. Yeah. <laughs> uh, um, what are you? Uh, what are you like delineating against? Uh, oh
2: yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what's What's not a person? Oh person? Uh, yeah, that's a private term. <laughs> <laughs> I, I never tried to define. Um, but I guess that like, uh, you know, when I wake up first thing in the morning. Um, I'm a person but I'm not like aware of the whole bulk of stuff about me yet like um it's before I've started to think of all that and before like interacting with another person has called on me to like act like one way I could act instead of you know sort of having the potential to act whatever way yeah (laughs) um and so uh I feel like every time you give a character more to them, um, every time you define them more, you're also sort of limiting them. You're like strengthening the features that you do reveal. But um, uh, it, that seems like, you know, not a natural default way of, of writing a story to me. Like um, it seems like a conscious choice and I, I need to like be very certain I want to go there. I guess Uh, besides that like um, you know one of my favorite writers ever is Beckett and um, (laughs) I just love like uh, how it doesn't even matter what you know about this character you just know you know they're chest deep in mud and that's terrible (laughs) I feel for you (laughs) yeah Yeah. Uh,
1: I see what you're saying I see what you're
0: saying yeah yeah You. This is. This. I just came to me. Would, you've mentioned uh, theater and plays? Twice. Would you have you ever written a play? Will you write a play? Is that a thing you're yeah. interested in?
2: I'm actually working on or beginning to work on the screenplay now, and I'm so stressed out by it because every time I try to read a screenplay, I'm like. Um, I have this horrible feeling of, I just read all these words and I understand like what was happening, but I feel like I haven't read anything. (laughs) Like, was it good? Was it bad?
1: (laughs) Uh, I see. Yeah. I mean, writing a screenplay, it all has to be visual. There's everything has to be right out there.
2: And with a screenplay, like I feel like the people who know how to read them, they um, know that you're supposed to bring a little something extra, and you're like imagining how the person's voice sounds as I say it. Um, but when I'm reading a novel, I try to not bring too much to it because then I end up making weird assumptions, like, um, like, oh, that guy is a villain. Like I could have sworn he had such a nice voice, like he was so warm and yeah. good. <laughs> Yeah.
1: Can you say what you're working on? Or?
2: Um, well, I'm I'm working on an adaptation of "You Two Can Have a Body Like Mine." Cool. That's very yeah. exciting. Yeah. Well, I mean. Did you
1: just see Drew's eyes? I just I, God, I just love
2: that book so much. Oh.
0: I really love reading whatever uh, an author has suggested alongside their book. Oh, it's and one so, of my favorite things. Yeah.
1: <laughs> and we made it up. So that's cool too. I know. <laughs> <laughs> but
0: Reading uh, Prick Songs and Descants, this Robert Coover short story collection alongside intimations, even before I read the Robert Coover blurb for yeah. <laughs> intimations, but I started being like, Oh, I understand. Like almost, I understand the lineage the two collections were talking to each other definitely even more so than like you can draw parallels a lot of times be like oh this is interesting this they were literally talking to each other
1: Mm -hmm. um you you were saying that you have you kind of wanted to do that
2: yeah i mean um well actually the first way i encountered robert coover was um uh I would just go to the library and I'd be like, what is there to read that I wouldn't um, uh, that would surprise me? Like, I wouldn't know what was in this or what the story was going to be like, because any other book you read for class, it comes with this context around it already. And I mean, you have something in place. Um, But I was looking at the Iowa Review and I saw this story called Playing House, um, which turned out to be by him. And it's this story told from within the house. And the house is a metaphor for storytelling. And then the house is a metaphor for um, life and death. And then the house is just a house. And then the house is a metaphor for childhood. It's just like amazing how um, uh, the setting doesn't shift. He doesn't pull any of those levers. But uh, the story that you're in is like shifting all the time. He's just so masterful at creating and moving meaning around um and it was like uh it was amazing to me because um i had always been writing poetry but prose poetry and i was like i, I just wish i could you know write in senses freely but um i don't know if i want to make people and move them around because mm. that seems like a lot to handle mm. um so uh that story wasn't collected in any book yet. It eventually came out in this McSweeney's published volume called A Child Again. Um but I found this book, Prick Songs and Descants, and um and I read it and uh it was so important to me, not necessarily because I enjoyed reading every single story. Like there's some stories in here that like they require so much from you. Like more mm-hmm. than I think a lot of stories ask more than any story that I see around now asks from its reader like just ability to like shift from one voice into some like totally unrelated kind of dialogue that's picking up the story in a different zone you have to try to connect them all the time and you're thinking as hard as you can and then um, suddenly it's like a discussion of genitalia or whatever you're like what like am I being toyed with? You know how, um, when you're reading a sort of mysterious story or a horror story or something like that, um, you get a sense of what it is that's happening. Um, but you're still poised in that zone where you're trying to find out exactly what it is. He like, um, was the first thing I ever read that takes, takes you to that zone and then like gives you a thing happening and then like yanks it away and yeah. then like does another one and so on. Like, um, uh. I I was just like amazed that that could happen in my head, and um, it's disconcerting
1: yeah. when it f- first happens, and actually yeah. it continues to be disconcerting every time it happens. I kind of felt like I kept reading, like like a indecisive choose your own adventure. Yes, <laughs> <laughs> um, it's where, like
2: or choose every adventure. Yeah,
1: it just yeah he couldn't decide which one to happen. It w- it was it was. Frustrating at first, or yeah. or maybe it continued to be. Um, it was a lot of work, but sometimes, especially my favorite was the magic poker, where you really where. His voice is in there as it seems as Robert yeah. Cooper, where yeah. he's just like, yeah, and themes. What uh, themes is this? Yeah. <laughs> where he's like in the middle of it, just talking about that. I thought that was very bold and very brave.
2: Yeah. And then some. sometimes he like breaks in and goes like, sometimes I forget that I'm writing this story and none <laughs> of this is actually happening. I'm like, Oh my God. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Especially in the magic poker. So that story uh, concerns uh, two sisters, although, I mean, they don't seem like sisters sometimes because one of them's named and one of them isn't. And one of them seems like the leader and one of them isn't. Yeah, yeah. Very strange. And it's also Karen. Yes. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and,
2: um. Actually, uh, I haven't read this book since I was in college. So when I saw that, I was like, oh, that's kind of weird. <laughs> but Karen is a solid name. Karen's um, a solid I ch- name. I chose it as one of my only real names in this whole collection because um, it brings just enough but not too much <laughs> <laughs> um
1: so the, the the rug being pulled out from under you in this story at the very beginning starts right away where she pulls up this like poker like a fire poker and kisses it and then there's a fairy tale part of that yeah where it turns into a man and starts talking to her and then the next paragraph it's her being disgusted about why did she kiss this
2: yeah and
1: it's just like she's just holding it and walking again yeah and so that first time that that happens you're just like wait Uh, (laughs) and you haven't it's not even like a flipping the pages back and forth because it's paragraph to paragraph yeah yeah Yeah. so you're just like okay i guess that was a dream or or what happened
0: It felt fitting to me that he's playing so much with um like fairy tales and mythology. Yeah. In a way that it's things that you think you know or even things that you're like, "Man, maybe like um Morris in Chains, the whole story." I was like, "This is familiar. Why do I know this?" And I couldn't I couldn't ever place it, mm. but it felt so familiar and it like there's a novel that we read recently not recently, I guess it was like six months ago for the show The Pickle Index uh-huh. that uh-huh. Eli Horowitz wrote. That, like, yeah. it feels very similar to that story, but I was like, well, that only came out this year, though, so it's not bad. <laughs> and just that that constant, like, destabilization.
2: Yeah. Yeah. You know, like, um, I, I feel like we expect that when people retell f- fairy tales. And at that time, like, Donald Bartholomew was writing, like, his takes on fairy tales uh-huh. and all these things. Like, uh, that was a graspable thing to play with in this meta narrative way. Um, but then he also like in this book treats like getting onto an elevator as though we're like a scripty, like fairy tale thing. And then it just like goes backwards and forwards and like does itself so many different ways. Um,
1: so why, why, I mean, you both seem to get right on board with that. I, I definitely had a hard time. Um, what, what do you think is it about your nature as a reader or something that you saw that and you're like, okay I think I I get what he's doing
2: um you know what I think maybe it's almost that like uh I just love a plot twist you know like that (laughs) that feeling of like everything rearranging itself and um you know this doesn't have the super stable plot that can twist the whole thing but you get like a twist every paragraph almost yeah and like um it, it makes it's like a puzzle box like i just really want to get to the end of it but it'll always be a puzzle box right <laughs> yeah yes.
1: that's a good point yeah
2: yeah um I, but it's also like i mean there's a reason why i haven't read it since um <laughs> the first time i read it because like uh it, it just gets me riled up and i get really i get frustrated and i get really excited and i have trouble sleeping or or something just like because um uh it makes my brain work really hard, and then like um, I never get that signal at the end, like, okay, you got it, good job, yeah. to, like, <laughs> to turn off.
1: Right, where, where you flip to the answer key at the back, and you're like, D, right? Yeah. Oh, great. I've got it right.
2: I thought it was D. Yeah.
0: <laughs> Something that um, I found really interesting about the babysitter in particular, yeah, is that that story, more than any of the other ones, felt like it not only had one ending, but it actually sort of answered several endings. Yeah. You know, and I was like, oh. Because that, I think that might have been my favorite story in the collection, just because of the way that it does that thing of dread from, like, the beginning. Yeah. And then it keeps, it, you're like, okay, be scared now, and then come back. <laughs> and it keeps it keeps changing everything and building up, and it keeps going. Yeah. And then I got to the end and there was, it wasn't, it's not a full release, but I was like, oh, what am I supposed, what do I, what am I supposed to think what about <laughs> <I do now?" laughs> any of this stuff? Yes. And it was that, like He's that. He's good at making you feel that. That yeah. next level of messing with you where he had built you up to the point of like, okay, I'm going to screw with you this way. And then by the end of a collection to almost find another way to do it and be like, I had one more trick up my sleeve. Yeah. What do you think about that? That is cool. It just blew me away.
2: Yeah, um that's like maybe the greatest story in this collection, probably the greatest story in this collection. And like um I I read that story and uh w- right after that um I took a class on hypertext literature or something and it was like oh, well it's like um Shirley Jackson's The Patchwork Girl and internet living stories where you like basically choose your own adventure or click mm-hmm. on one part uh, of it and the text changes and, and yeah. things like that. And um I was like, okay, I I'm interested in this hypertext literature, but I feel like it was already done like in the 70s yeah. by this book. <laughs> uh,
1: have you um this was my first um introduction to Robert Cooper. Was it yours as well? Me
0: too. I knew about, I him, knew about him. Because of the Brunists. Mm-hmm. I've never read either yeah. of those books. But I, like the yeah, names
1: I, are I knew he wrote a sequel to his book like forty years later or something. Yeah. But yeah. that's about all I knew. Um have you read more of him and and uh, what's he like in a novel if you have?
2: Yeah, what? um well uh, I worked on the Brunist Day of Wrath. Oh the oh
1: cool. the yeah. sequel, um, right? Yeah, the yeah.
2: sequel. So uh, and I read the first one and I've read like, those are both huge. Like you measure those novels in inches, not pages <laughs> books. Um, and, uh, he also has some, um, like cuter, like smaller novels. Um, that I really love like noir and, um, uh, Oh, um, a night of the movies, which is short stories, but they're all like based on cinematic tropes. The, Brunus one that's a book that really stands apart from these stories because none of the traditional boundaries of storytelling are crossed like the only difference is that you have access to everything in the character's head and that you have 144 characters or something that it goes through (sighs) but like (laughs) like what's amazing about it is that it is so like meticulously clear and stable Mm. that you really can organize all of these people um and then uh the main like visceral feeling i have is just like like i've eaten too much like oh my god now i know about (laughs) 140 people and like i think i care about them and it's too much (laughs) you know yeah but um that's also a puzzle box but like of a different kind and like all the pieces are very well made and they hold together Wow. Well, it's, yeah. it's crazy all moving towards like the culminating, like disastrous event that takes place.
1: I mean, this book was fascinating yeah Brick songs and Deskins by robert coover um and it was a great one to read alongside intimations so i personally recommend making this duology or make it a trilogy you know you two can have a body like mine then intimations and then yeah why don't we um why don't we talk about other books we love uh why don't we recommend something oh sure what do you think yeah, we can do that yeah. you guys excited about Sounds that good. okay yeah. good you go first this time i go first yeah you go first Okay, um, I've been reading comics uh with a with a capital X comics. Um no. Uh, but I did read Sex Criminals, the the newest one, uh volume 3 by uh uh what? Chip Shad- Zdarsky and Matt Fraction. Yeah. Um it's the series is continually very good. This third volume is very meta. There's even a page where they just Breaks out into them talking about writing the book, and they're like, Yeah, I know this conversation <laughs> has to happen, but it's so boring. He's like, We could do a meta thing. He's like, I don't think we should, <laughs> which is pretty funny. Um, yeah. and then one that didn't use any meta things at all, and it was just fantastic, is the new uh, Daniel Cloves Cloves or Cloves? What do you I say? I
2: never heard his name pronounced, but it has the W in it, Cloez. Right? Yeah, <laughs> um,
1: his new book, Patience is insanely good. Oh, um wow. it's somewhat about him like trying to time travel. Like the main character's time to try and time travel to say some save someone's life. Wow. Um and he keeps like ending up forward and back and you and you see him in the past and the future and um he actually finds a lot of new things to do with the genre of time travel uh in it. And it's just an incredible um you know it reminds me of watching a movie. It, it's like a, the best, a great three-hour movie that it's gonna that's going to take you to so read the good. book. Um, so that was great. Cool. Yeah.
2: I I really like to teach a class on time travel. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like um, just I I think it would not be a good idea for a class because um, everyone would be like, why are we talking about this for the whole semester? <laughs> we've done it, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> oh, to death. But like, I feel like there's a lot of room for something new to be done in that.
1: Well, there is. And I, I, I think that it's crazy. I mean, there's the, the ways that people understand how time travel works. And then there's the ways that people... You can mess with how time travel works. And I think that both are really, really fun. Yeah. Mm. Um, Drew, do you want to go next?
0: Sure. Um, Speaking not quite of time travel, but alternate times. Uh, China Mieville's latest novel slash novella, The Last Days of New Paris, where... Mm. It's he he is an author who I love and I've mentioned on the show a lot and like he requires an intellectual rigor of his reader uh-huh. just because he he thinks that he has an idea and he thinks about the whole thing if you're like, what about mm, what and he's like, nope, got it <laughs> on it. The idea behind this is that it is an alternate Paris where in 1940 a surrealist bomb exploded and basically brought to life all of the the weird fucking things that you see in surrealist paintings. Uh, and they are now stalking the streets of sort of like a demilitarized Paris where there are some resistance fighters, there are some Nazis. The book mainly takes place in 1950. And so it's unclear how much of the war is still going on. But like Paris is just this, it's like a little bit Les Mis- it's a little bit. Whoa. Yeah, uh, it's just, it's, and it's all in 200 pages. And then at the very end, there's an afterword entitled, How I Came to Write The Last Days of New Paris, that I was like, oh, I figure, I think I know what this is. And then it was not at all. And I just, I was like, Whoa. it's, It's just another brilliant, and it's like 200 pages. Wow. And if you like surrealist art, which I do, highly recommended because it, it's just, it's, you can, try to it's like you need a spotter's guide that oh my sounds God, great read yeah that. um yeah the other thing is this weird 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 like unfinished always unfinished puzzle box of a novel called composition number one by mark sapora supporter mm. um visual editions this tiny british publisher put it out a couple of years ago it's a book in a box unbound and the idea is that you're supposed to take it out and scatter the pages and then read it in whatever order you pull it back together. Oh, I see. Oh, whoa! So it can—it's not only never read the same way twice, but like you—you you never get a grip on actually what it is because you realize that it could—any page could be the first or the last.
2: Wow! It sounds like hopscotch square. Yeah. Yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah.
1: Yeah. Hopscotch in a new dimension.
2: Yeah. <laughs> that sounds like
0: a really bad direct-to-video sequel.
1: Yeah, it does. <laughs> um, Alexandra.
2: Um well what I'm reading right now and I'm I'm not totally done um but I'm really excited about it is this um new novel by Yoko Tawada who's one of my favorite writers um and uh my mom who is a Japanese literature person um, scholar <laughs> sorry um told me for like years that there was this book by yoko Tawada about a polar bear about knut the bear at the berlin zoo um and i was always I like I, w- I would die to read that book and anything i could do to read that book short of actually learning german um, which i knew would take so long that it would probably wipe out the time gain whatever um would uh I, I will do it. Um, and it's being issued by New Directions. <laughs> with The translation by Susan thanks, Pernowski thanks. Thanks, this November. Yeah, and um, it's like, uh, I had no idea what to expect. Um, I thought it would just be about Knut, but um, it's actually about uh, Knut's grandmother, Knut's mother, and then Knut. And um, it's much less like, I, I imagined it would be sort of, A real world thing with the imagined interior life of a polar bear but it occupies this really really strange hybrid territory where um uh the polar bear is really a polar bear but is also a writer and every time (laughs) you start thinking like oh well um being a polar bear is like a metaphor for being an immigrant then um there's a long description of like um, how good it feels to eat salmon with your claws. And you're like, okay, no, it's not just a metaphor. Uh, and uh, it's just, it's so funny, and it's so strange and such a pleasure to read. And the polar bear is like, reading um, uh, Kafka, like, the orangutan story, and, like, reflecting on it critically, like, I don't think that's really how the orangutan felt. And um, You just, like, read all these things through a really a lens I've never seen before.
1: Wow. That sounds fantastic.
0: Cool. Yeah. It's yeah. really fun. <laughs> yeah. I've been looking for another, like what the next Yoko Tawada book should be. Ah. So we read, uh, the naked eye actually. Oh, Laura yeah. Vandenberg recommended that to
2: us. Oh, so great. Yeah. And actually that makes a lot of sense with Laura. <laughs>
0: <laughs> um,
1: well, thank you so much, thank you so yeah, much for, for coming back. Me. Uh, we yeah. really appreciate it. And you you know, intimations is a triumph. And yeah. we're so excited to to see it take the world by storm.
2: Yeah, and, and anytime you want to talk about books, hell do yeah. It. <laughs> yeah!
0: I think at this point we've established that like you it's put out a book, <laughs> or you're gonna come on by. <laughs> <laughs> uh,
1: and uh, to those out there, go and pick up these wonderful uh, Kleiman books, and uh, we will talk to you
0: soon. Yeah, there's always more. There are. There are a few more. How
1: did my voice go? I don't
0: know. That's gonna be the thing. Yeah, that's gonna how it's gonna end.